Let us pray. God, you've heard the prayer that the sanctuary choir has just offered on behalf of all of us. That prayer that acknowledges we need you more. More than the air we breathe, more than the song we sing, we acknowledge that that you are our very heart, our very life. And today we pray that you would show us more and more of yourself. Teach us more about you that we might fully live that character of gentle strength that you're calling us to live. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Our call as a congregation is to attract, to include, to mature and mobilize. And for these four weeks, I've been honing in on that whole maturity aspect, that idea of developing our character as a congregation and our character as people that idea of developing the character of gentle strength, that our congregation will offer a presence to our community and our world that reflects the heart of God. As part of this, we've looked at the very core and foundation of the Christian faith, and it really is embodied in the book of Luke, and it begins with a conversation that Jesus has with a lawyer. The lawyer says to Jesus, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus turns that question back on the lawyer and says, well, what does the law say? And the lawyer quotes a famous scripture from the Hebrew scriptures and says, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and your neighbor as yourself. That is the core of the Christian faith in a nutshell. It is the core of our calling. And it can be made even more simple. Our call is simply to love our neighbor and to love God. The reality is all of the scriptures can be boiled down to those four words. Love neighbor, love God. But Jesus wanted to make sure that the lawyer and us were clear about how that's lived out. And so we talked about the story of the Good Samaritan as a description of what it means to love our neighbor. And that means loving our neighbor under all circumstances. And it means being a Good Samaritan congregation. To love our neighbor even in the midst of hate crimes. To love our neighbor even when it's not easy. Last week we then looked at what it means to love God. And Luke also tells that story. It tells the story of Jesus going to the home of Martha and Mary. And how when Mary sits down at Jesus' feet, it is an example of what it means to attend to each other and to attend to what really matters. That's the loving God part. So we have the core of our faith, to love neighbor, to love God. And then today, we go further. We go further with what it means to live a mature faith. Because though we are called to love neighbor and to love God, It's not always easy. So how do we do it? How do we live out our faith when the neighbor turns out to be cranky and difficult to love? And how do we love God when God doesn't seem to be present? The answer for us is in today's scripture. And it really can be stated with one word. And that word is knock knock love neighbor love God how do we do it 
knock. <laughs> that knocking is a metaphor for prayer. It is a life of prayer that gives us the resolve, the character, the ability to love our neighbor through all seasons and all times and to love God even when God may seem to be absent. Knock. Knock. Ask and you will receive. Search and you will find. If this is our way, we had better be confident that we believe this because we can be sure that there is a little child in a pew who is asking, please God, all I ask is that my parents get back together. Or please God, I don't want my mom to go to Iraq. Or please God, if I could just understand what I did wrong, maybe the hitting would stop. The answers to these big questions don't come in a sweet little song about seeking and finding. They come in the context of a community that is willing to wage, no, willing to stake its life on the belief that prayers are answered and that God does respond to human need and suffering. To stake your life on this claim means letting God have access to your own hands and feet when they're needed. What I love about this scripture is it talks about prayer when prayer is not easy. In the Christian faith, we've tended to kind of idealize prayer. We have songs that idealize prayer. We have those songs that talk about going to the garden when the dewdrops are still on the roses. Well, sometimes we get to the garden and the roses are dead. <laughs> How do we pray? through all seasons and all times. How about that child in the pew who hears that we are called to pray and the prayers will be answered and yet she goes home to abuse every night or she's picked on at school. We knock and sometimes that door doesn't open. We pray and sometimes that prayer is not answered. So what's the call in this? Looking more deeply at the scripture, we see the call is to knock and to keep on knocking. To keep on knocking even when it seems that the answer is not coming. Now this is a point where this scripture has often been misinterpreted. The scripture says, if you look in your worship folder, ask and ye shall receive. Now there have been long, wonderful sermons on that phrase, ask and you shall receive. Ministers have said, okay, be clear about what you're asking for. So they would invite, if you were a single woman in this congregation, to perhaps visualize a beautiful woman coming into your life that looks good and smells good. Or maybe to visualize a bank account that's overflowing. <laughs> or to perhaps envisualize that infinity the car you've always dreamed of. And they'll go on and on about that. Now I think there is power in thinking about what we want. And there's power in thinking about good things in our life. But that's not what the scripture is talking about. And this scripture has been misused. This is not a name it and claim it scripture. Notice the scripture does not say, ask and you will get what you ask for. <laughs> Thank you. 
It's not saying that. What it's saying is, ask and you will receive. What you receive, however, may not be what you expect or what you want. What comes to you may simply be the presence of God standing with you. What comes to you might be a deeper understanding of life. What might come to you is the vision beyond the vision. The vision beyond the surface of superficial relationships. What might come to you is an understanding that God's provision is beyond bank accounts and finances. That God's provision runs deeper. What comes may be a heart-to-heart connection with the God who doesn't always alleviate suffering, but who suffers with us. Knock and keep knocking. And even in the knocking, there will be receiving. If you stop and listen and see where God is in that, the call is to knock and to keep on knocking. Knocking with perseverance is a lifelong process. It is holy and sacred. To keep knocking draws on inner resources. It is a person of gentle strength who continues to knock even when the knuckles grow sore from the knocking. We are called to stay focused on the object of our search. Yet if we concentrate only on what we want to find, we will surely miss amazing sights along the way. We need to learn to keep looking ahead toward our goal and at the same time attend to the little blessings along the way. That is sacred knocking. We find that the process itself serves as a channel of God's grace. While we are looking for something else, God has a way of blessing us with gifts we did not expect, a teaching we weren't aware we needed, or nourishment from an unexpected source. Knocking becomes holy for us when we recognize Christ is knocking with us and walking beside us and encouraging us to persevere. This brings us to the second way this scripture has been misinterpreted. Number one, it's not a name it and claim it scripture. Name it and claim it faith is not a mature faith. But secondly, this scripture has been misinterpreted because it has often been preached that God is that neighbor behind the door. And that the knocking on the door is like us praying to God who is that neighbor. Now, I've always struggled with that because if you look at how the neighbor is described in this scripture, it's not a very good description of God, if indeed that's God. God is asleep, according to this scripture. God is stingy, according to this scripture. God is irritable, according to this scripture. And yet that's how it has been preached time and time and time again that we've got to pester God we've got to beg God we've got to be relentless and finally God will give us what we might need so I looked deeper at this scripture what occurred to me is that absolutely is not a description of God that's a description of perhaps our neighbor <laughs> that's not God that's a description of life 
Life often doesn't give us what we want or what we seek or what we ask for. Circumstances don't always work out the way we want them to work out. Life can be selfish at times. Life can be irritable at times. So what this scripture is saying is life is true to life. The fact that you become a person of faith doesn't mean you will be saved from reality. And that includes the difficult circumstances that you may meet in your life. You're going to meet some difficult and challenging circumstances and you are going to find some closed doors. And just because you become a Christian, it doesn't mean those doors are going to magically open. What happens when you become a person of faith is that you then have that courage and that inner strength and that maturity to keep knocking even when that neighbor says no, even when that neighbor says shut up, even when that neighbor says if you are a GLBTQ person you are an abomination and a sinner. This scripture calls us to keep knocking for what we know is true and right. To not let the closed door become a closed life. What we seek is behind that door. But God is with us on this side of the door. (laughs) God is with us in the knocking. God is sharing God's courage with us. God is sharing God's relentless spirit with us. Perseverance is part of the character of God, so our God is a God not who withholds from us, but who knocks with us for all that we seek. This is really a scripture for true life. One of the prayers that many of us have been praying now for these last years has been for peace in our world, and particularly peace in Iraq. So what would this scripture have to say about a difficult situation like what we face in our world today? Our prayers for peace at this point have certainly not been answered. How do any of us pray when we face experiences or circumstances that seem insurmountable? The answer again is in this scripture, to keep knocking, knowing that God is knocking with us. I came across a powerful testimony from a person who was imprisoned in Iraq along with three others. He went there on a peace mission to simply go to that place and be a person of prayer in the midst of suffering and injustice, believing that somehow even those prayers would begin to create a measure of peace. Four of those who were on that mission were arrested. They were arrested and accused of being Western spies. They were imprisoned in November of 2005 and not released until March. But during that time, they learned a lot about what it means to pray. And there was one in their midst who particularly modeled this idea of knocking and knocking and knocking. He was 54 years old and his name was Tom Fox. And one of the other prisoners tells a little bit about what Tom taught them about prayer. During those first days of relentless, terrifying, excruciating uncertainty, 
Tom dove into prayer. He turned his captivity into a sustained, unbroken meditation. The chain that bound his wrist became a kind of rosary. He would picture someone, a member's family, or even one of the captors, whoever he felt needed a prayer. Holding a link of the chain, he would breathe in and out slowly, praying for the person he was holding in his mind. With the completion of each breath, he would pass a chain link through his thumb and index finger. During his first, first breath, he would say to himself, with the warmth of my heart, and the second, with the stillness of my mind, and the third, with the fluidity of my body, and in the fourth, with the light of my soul. At the end of the series of four breaths, he would pause and simply rest in the light with the person he was praying for. Tom would exhort us to live in the present moment. The past and the future did not exist. He would say we only have the now. He would remind us that we could be held for months, even years. Tom's prayers were profound. They brought our suffering into dialogue with the vast suffering of the world. Again and again, his prayers brought to mind other prisoners, security detainees in Iraq, illegal combatants in Guantanamo, the lost and forgotten souls in American penitentiaries. And every time we heard a bomb explode, near or far, Tom would stop to pray for those whose lives had just been destroyed every time, without fail. Every time he heard a bomb, it was a call to prayer. It was a call to knock, to keep knocking, to keep praying, to keep believing. Those that were detained with Tom saw a quality of spirit and character in him that became a lifeline challenge to them, a call that gave them that ability to persevere with him. A little over a year ago, in March of 2006, the captors came, and for a reason none of them could understand, they took Tom away from them. They kept thinking that Tom would be brought back, but he was not. Two weeks passed. During that time, they relied on what he had taught them about prayer. Every time they began to think the worst or have fears, they turned those fears into a knock. They turned those fears into a prayer. His presence stayed with them. After Tom was gone for two weeks, they were released. And of course, their first question upon being released was, where's Tom? How's Tom? Tell us how he's doing. Many of us gathered here today saw the videotape that was aired around the world of Tom's dead body on a street in Baghdad. They learned that the one who had taught them so much about prayer had died in the midst of his prayers. It may seem like a senseless death with no meaning. Yet what he gave them in those hours, in those days, in those months, cannot be measured. And what Tom gave to the world cannot be fully measured. 
for it was an eternal gift that our God is a God who knocks with us, who lives with us, who meets us where we are in the real circumstances of life, a God who is willing to go all the way to whatever it is that we meet on our way. Our Scripture today invites us to knock and to keep knocking and to realize that God is knocking with us no matter what life brings. And that is a mature faith for all seasons, all times, and all circumstances. No door is closed forever. And when a door seems closed, God is right there with us, knocking and knocking and knocking. God of grace and God of love, God of a deep and maturing and growing faith, Thank you for being a God who meets us with all that life brings, a God who walks with us, and give us that ability to keep on knocking, even when the door may seem closed. Remind us that all that we do in your name has eternal value that cannot be measured in the way that we measure things, but is measured instead by your love. Jesus Christ, giver of grace, have mercy on us as individuals. Jesus Christ, giver of grace, have mercy on this, your church. Jesus Christ, giver of grace, have mercy on your world. And hear the prayers of your people who pray. Amen.